Welcome to Multifamily Rockstars. If you are new to apartment investing or already experienced, you will enjoy this show. You will hear from the leading experts in multifamily real estate so that you can be a better owner, operator, and investor. Real people, real stories, life-changing. And now, your host, Ryan Christopher Nunes. Well, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Neil Bawa. Neil Bawa is the CEO and founder of Grow Capitus, a commercial real estate investment company with a portfolio of over 2,000 units and $200 million in value. Neil also serves as a CEO of Multifamily University, an apartment investing education company. He is a top-rated speaker at conferences and events across the country. Each year, nearly 10,000 students attend his seminars and webinars. Neil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, um, Ryan. I'm, I'm really um, excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's dive right in. So, Neil, walk us through your background. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am a recovering technologist. I'm a geek. I love numbers. And more than numbers, I love the power of numbers to create value, to create wealth for my investors. Uh, you could say that I'm a I'm a data analytics guy that is more interested in the production of profit than in the production of numbers. Uh, it excites me to put, that's what I'm all about. And, and um, I present my analytics, uh, my analysis, my insights uh, to the community out there. So uh, I write courses and I give them away for free on websites like udemy.com. I think there's 10,000 people taking some of my analytics courses. And primarily these courses are focused on, you know, determining the right locations to buy real estate, um, where the right cities, the right neighborhoods, those sorts of things. Um, I love doing webinars. So I, I teach webinars for about somewhere around 30,000 people a year. Um, I actually taught a webinar last night that had 500 people, exactly 500, because we ran out of licenses. Um, and I also taught another one on Tuesday that um, on, on Thursday that had 500 people. So I enjoy talking about the power of data and what it means for real estate. I enjoy buying real estate using the, the uh, analytics that we use. Um, I love multifamily, so uh, 70% of my portfolio is multifamily, but I also indulge in student housing and storage properties, roughly a $250 million portfolio. I do new construction projects as well, so uh, you know we can certainly talk about the impact of uh, coronavirus on new construction. All right, great. Well, let's jump right in. What are your goals for 2020? Well, um, I am in the process of rewriting my goals because the goals that I wrote in January simply have no meaning, no relevance anymore. So we are in the middle of a true black swan event. In fact, it is my belief that coronavirus is the most unique black swan event in modern history. So uh, it is more unique than 9-11. It is more unique than the oil crisis. We've never seen anything like this. Um, and the reason that is that every other crisis that we've dealt with that was a black swan you know, event that no one predicted was, a, was an event where, that, where human beings were fighting human beings at human being speed. And here we have a virus that grows at exponential speed, right? So imagine a virus that doubles its army every three days, mm -hmm. is successfully fighting in 193 countries at the same time, 
and appears to be winning in most of those countries at this point of time. So we've never faced anything like it. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is human beings cannot understand exponential functions. I mean, well, I shouldn't say cannot, but they have trouble understanding exponential functions. We think of, you know, life as one, two, three, four, five. And so imagine doing one, two, three, four, five. Well, the virus is exponential in nature. So it, in the same time, it goes one, 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000. So you've gotten to five, the virus has gotten to 10,000. That's why it's very difficult to deal with it. We've never seen anything quite like it. So as a result, my goals for this year currently are wait and watch, mm. make sure that my investors and my current projects are not damaged, and don't be too greedy too soon. There, there's going to be a time for greed this year. And I think it's going to be Q3, possibly Q4. But I, I keep telling myself, don't get greedy too soon. Oh, that's great. So, you know, you've done a wonderful job on just keeping uh, your investors and other folks up to speed on the COVID-19 crisis and just a lot of insights. So just walk us through your latest thoughts on the impact to American daily life and then specifically apartment buildings. Sure. Um, so let's start with the American daily life. Um, at this point, uh, today is March 25th. We're talking at nine o'clock in the morning Pacific time. 148 million Americans are under some form of shelter in place or quarantine, um, which is a challenge because that means that there's 170, 180 million Americans that are currently not in quarantine. And I'm far more worried about those guys because they mm. simply don't understand this virus fully. I, I think that governors, for the most part, don't understand the exponential function as well. They, they think that this is like a, a hurricane. Well, a hurricane might slam into your city, but then after it's gone, it doesn't multiply and keep slamming it again and again, right? It doesn't grow to you know, a double of its size every three days. So... This thing is more like a Godzilla slamming into your city, except Godzilla just doubles in size every three days as it's mm. going around destroying your city. So it's very hard for people to understand the math. I've, I've seen politicians fall short. Um, and so here's what I believe will happen. I believe today being the 25th, I believe that by the 30th of this month, 30th of March, most uh, states in the United States will be in quarantine because mm. over the next six or seven days, the healthcare systems start as they start to become overloaded. It will push each state in. At this time, only 17 of our 30 states, uh, 50 states, are in quarantine. Mm. But I think that number is going to be well over 40 within five days. So effect on daily life is going to be very strong. Uh, in places like New York, which have multiple booms, the way that this virus moves is you get case, case, cluster, cluster, boom, and New York, in my mind, is probably the only state, perhaps uh, Louisiana, but New York's the place where there's, it's, it's not boom, it's booms, right? They've got mm -hmm. a very large number of clusters and so a very large number of booms, which means that I think that the New York healthcare system will be completely overloaded within the next 10 days or so. And mm -hmm. we're going to see um, a terrifying human tragedy that is going to take um, effect in New York. So that will impact Americans. Even if you don't live in New York, it's going to impact you because you're going to read about it in the newspaper. And unfortunately, that's going to have a negative impact on the economic side of this story, which uh, in the long run could be much more devastating than the healthcare side. So, but I do think that most of, most of the U.S. goes into quarantine. California is the first one to quarantine, and they, they did it last Thursday. So the, 
think of think of quarantines as starting on March twentieth, um, and then kind of everybody in quarantine by by Mar- end of March, and then pretty much all of April we stay in quarantine. I think that all these talk about coming out of quarantine by Easter is mostly nonsensical because you know, right around that time is when the virus is going to be peaking. So you're going to see such a staggering number of daily cases that anyone at that point suggesting that we open up the country is going to, um, you know, uh, is going to attract some negative comments. Um, You know, I'm I'm just trying to be nice. Um, but, uh, But I think that by the end of April, you should see the same sort of track that we saw in, in, uh, China where, you know, it sort of, you know, comes down and we start to reopen our economy in May. And then after that, it's going to be two steps forward, one step back because we're going to reopen our economy. Our cases will surge and then we'll basically look at it more on a localized basis. Let's say, oh, there's a bunch of cases that surged here. We're going to lock this area down. And so two steps forward, one step back Mm -hmm. until we find a vaccine or until it comes back in the fall. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of my comments on on daily life. So all the parents with school age children, kids aren't going back to school, I guess. It's very likely at this point that not all school age kids are going to go back. And, And we might see over time more intelligent methodologies being applied. I mean, you know, shutting down the economy is not the solution. So you've got to basically figure out what you can do and what you cannot do. We're going to learn more about this. I mean, uh, all of America's intelligence, our technology, our savvy, our entrepreneurs are hard at work. So I have faith that we will find ways around this. I mean, one of the ways that I believe is going to have a significant impact is we will start doing plasma transfusions from people that have, you know, been sick or, you know, gotten it and have recovered. And I think that there's going to be a large scale effort two months from now where plasma transfusions will be available maybe two or three months from now. So three months from now, we get a, um, you know, we get an outbreak in a certain area, they will, in, you know, put a lot of plasma transfusions there and slow it down that way. So we'll have mm-hmm. weapons to fight against it, even before we get a vaccine. Um, we will also start building apps. I mean, South Korea built this phenomenal app that really helped them. I don't know if you've heard about it, but essentially what this app did was it, you know, once you, once you had the virus and they, you would, they, you would register through the app and it would geolock you to your home. And so if you left your home, the virus would actually notify the authorities, right? By doing that, they forced the people that had the virus to stay home. And, and reduce the spread. And uh, obviously, they've been phenomenally successful with it. We're going to come up with some of those things as well. So we, we need to give ingenuity a chance here, right? Give it a few weeks, a few months. And I, I think we'll find ways uh, around some of the problems. No, that's great. Very insightful. And then in terms of switching to multifamily, what are your thoughts on the impact to apartment buildings? Well, it's quite substantial. And there's a lot of reasons. The biggest reason is, is, um, is fear. And uh, this uh, yesterday, Fannie Mae, which is the largest lender in the U.S., announced that for all new multifamily projects, they would be requiring a one-year escrow of mortgage, of insurance, and of real estate taxes, a one-year escrow. So to give you context for what that means is, you know, if, if there was a $20 million project and you were raising $4.5 million in equity, you're now going to be raising close to $6 million in equity. So that is a very, very large change. 
if Freddie Mac hasn't done it yet, so if they don't do it, then everyone's going to flock over to Freddie Mac. But but sooner or later, Freddie's going to say, you know, I, I think there's a reason why Fannie's doing this, so we're sure. going to do it too. So it's very likely that that'll happen. And as a result, that is going to slow down transaction volume. A lot of people will pull out. A lot of people are already putting out 55% of the transactions in the marketplace today from multifamily are being uh, retraded, where people are basically saying, hey, I want a lower price. Uh, we're going to see cap rates go up. We're going to see, um, and we just don't know how much and how long, right? So mm -hmm. the question isn't whether cap rates go up. That question has already been answered because there's so much retrading activity in the marketplace. We know that cap rates will go up. The question is how much do they go up and how long do they go up for? And does it, it does is there a crash in the marketplace or is there a recovery? And that's what that's really what we go back and forth on, depending upon what we are seeing as, as the latest news item. Is it a sharp V? Is it a you know a kind of a a U that seems like a V, so that the portion at the bottom is is very short, right? So it's still a U, but it looks more like a V. Or is it a U-shaped recovery? It's it's really hard to tell. I mean, it's clear that that single-family construction. Uh, has been slowed down. So a lot of the the, the uh, builders are saying, we're not sure what's going to happen. We're going to pull back. We're not going to do land transactions. So we're seeing in the last 20 days, a very big slowdown. Mm -hmm. We just don't know if it's temporary, <clears throat> right? We I sense that, you know, things like retail are a temporary slowdown. It's hard to figure out if, if, if multifamily is going to be a, a short-term slowdown or a long-term slowdown, which is why I tell people this. I mean, so here's my analogy of this. So you know, you've heard of black holes, right? So a black hole is is a area of infinite density, which is so dense that even light doesn't escape it, right? So it pulls light in, which means that if you're standing at the event horizon of a black hole, you can't even see, right? Nothing's visible. Black hole itself is invisible. And today, I think we are at the event horizon, which is why speculation is exactly that. It's speculation. This could go many different ways. If a nation, if a worldwide depression starts, it goes one way. If the world very quickly applies stimulus, we beat the virus and most of the world reopens in May, then it goes a different way. And then if, if it starts a cascade chain of, let's say, corporate debt, you know, um, you know, defaults or mortgage debt defaults, then it goes a completely different way. So the question is, which, you know, it's not about which way it's going to go. It's about what do you believe? And to be honest, what I believe every day changes because mm -hmm. the virus moves so quickly that it forces us to change our opinions daily. But today, my opinion is of a substantial impact on multifamily. And I haven't even talked about the impact on rent collections. I mean, that is sure. gigantic, though for the moment, that has become the least important thing in my list, believe it or not. And the reason for that is, Today, this morning, we passed a two trillion, or we're going to pass it today, but it's been agreed upon. It's a two trillion dollar uh, bill. The bill has phenomenal um, unemployment benefits. They call it unemployment uh, benefits on steroids. Okay, uh, which I think is a is a fair term actually. For once, the politicians are not exaggerating because essentially, you get laid off, they give you four months of uh, of salary. Right, the government okay. is going to pay four months of your salary, which is a very huge number because. I, I want to you know, say that we have to treat this not like a depression, not like a recession. We have to treat this like a hurricane. Mm -hmm. It's a hurricane. And it is hitting 193 countries at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you've noticed that you know, 10 days after a hurricane has gotten, you know, life bounces back. People go back to the office. And this may not be 10 days. It might be more like three months. But still, it, it has that very sharp impact where it shuts everything down. And then you know, life comes back. And 
And as a result, if you have four months of unemployment insurance, there's a good chance that our workers, our class C workers, our blue collar workers will get through this without a huge amount of damage. And if you know the $250 billion that they're giving out to small businesses could allow small businesses to also come back, some will be lost. I mean, some businesses were already struggling. Some of the restaurants that are shut down will never reopen. We know that. Question is, how many? So you talked a little bit about, you know, the things that could change in multifamily, higher cap rates. You know, let's just walk us through the key components. What happens to rent growth? There's no rent growth this year. There's rent declines. I mean, so bottom line is I expect that rents will go down and, you know, class B will be least hit, but class A and C will suffer. Um, and uh, I, I cannot imagine rents at this point, at any point of this year going upwards. So I think that they go down and they stay down. And at some time, you know, next year is when a recovery begins okay. in, in rent growth. Um, vacancy, also the same thing. We're, we're going to have economic vacancy sharply go down in, in Q2 and then possibly start to stabilize or get better in Q3. I think, I think delinquency and, and economic delinquency uh, vacancy should recover faster than physical occupancy, um, you know, because the people that are already there that decide, okay, I've gotten my job back, I'm going to start paying rent again. That's a much quicker process than filling up the units where people have said, I'm, I'm just going to go live with mom and dad, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Boomerang kids, right? They're basically returning back home and living with sure. mom and dad for a while uh, because they lost confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think physical vacancy will hurt more. Economic okay. vacancy will hurt big time in Q2 and then should stabilize. Well, you know, could you quantify that at all in terms of, you know, you said rents could, could suffer, could go down. I mean, what, what's the worst case you think? Um, due to the nature of this, um, there is no benchmark. There is no way to say, I'm going to compare this to, to what, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've never had an event like this occur in modern history. So, I can speculate, but I'm telling you what I'm what I'm doing is just pure speculation. Um, people have asked me this question so many times in the last few weeks, and my answer is: I think that we only gather about sixty percent to seventy percent of our rents in April, and then in May, no one knows. May has some benefits: um, the the checks, the the free money that the government is going to shower on people, you know, thirty four hundred dollars for a family of four will reach them in May. Okay. The question is, will they choose to take that money and pay rent? They don't have to. Sure. They are protected from eviction. So the question is, will they choose to? I'm not overly worried about existing multifamilies, to be honest. I'm not overly worried about that. Why? Because everyone has deferment, right? Fanny Freddie have already announced, you know what? If if you're, you know, just show us your Feb numbers, show us your April numbers, and we'll give you deferment, right? Which which is a straightforward process. I expect that most providers will, will choose deferment at this point simply because, you know, um, they are risk averse, everyone's scared, so they'll choose deferment. My properties will apply for deferment as soon as they can in April. Um, and, and it may be May before we can apply because, simply because they want to look at what, you know, they want to look at April P&Ls. They want to look at Feb P&Ls to make sure that you're actually hurting. That something bad actually happened to you. Sure, sure. So I, I doubt that they're going to give us deferment in the middle of April. Uh, but um, there's a good chance that we will not pay our mortgage in April. So, you know, we, we want to be careful because May, May is really this big black hole. 
In- um, so it's not clear at this point. Obviously, what you're doing is you're taking the mortgage and you're adding it to the end of your your you know your your mortgage time frame. So if it's a ten year loan, you're basically extending it out by a month. There's not a lot. I mean, in the past, deferment has been a problem because they charge a huge amount of fees. They are now implying that they're not going to charge fees, which means that there isn't a huge downside to mm-hmm. to deferment. Uh, obviously, it has a small, very small impact on your overall returns. But right now, I'm not thinking about returns at all. I make no decisions in the next three months that I make will have anything to do with returns. I My job has changed. My job is no longer to make money from my investors. My job is to save their money, save their principal, mm-hmm. safeguard their properties. So I completely ignore any anything that anybody tells me about, oh, this is going to affect my um, my returns. And the answer is yeah. so. Yeah, it's principle that's key right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have to be in a defensive mode, right? I mean, you, you don't behave the same way in the middle of a hurricane that's hitting your city, right? You shut down your business. You board up your windows. Nobody says, oh, you know, there's a cost to boarding up windows. We shouldn't do it. Yeah. And then, you know, the government has been pretty active. And I know you talked about the differences between this and the Great Recession and the government's response seems to be, you know, much more significant this time. It's phenomenal. I mean, I have to say at this point, knowing what I know today on March 25th, that $2 trillion bill. And I mean, look at the Fed, right? I mean, I've been describing this as the Fed isn't just throwing the kitchen sink. They went around the house, ripped out every single sink and bathroom, you know, outlet that they can find and threw all of it at the market all at the same time. There's no phasing, right? It's just Here's everything that we can do. We're going to do it together because the Fed realizes the exponential nature of this virus. Of all of our institutions, the one that deals with exponentials the most is the Federal Reserve. Sure. They, they think in exponentials because a lot of their what they do is, is related to exponential sort of work. Mm-hmm. So they very quickly understood that, that we have to be extraordinarily careful about what this thing is because it's, it's much more dangerous than anything that we've seen before. So the, the Fed's response, I, I give them 100 out of 100. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm sure Congress could have been a little bit better, but given how divided Congress is, I have to give them a high score for getting this done. Keep in mind, I mean, the first state to completely go into quarantine was California, and that happened on Thursday. Mm-hmm. We have a bill, a $2 trillion bill that has passed effectively on March 25th. So that's seven or eight days. So, sure. I mean, the response has been uh, more than adequate. Well, the response has been as good as it can be. The question is, will it be adequate? Maybe not, right? But they've mm-hmm. done everything they could. And then are you concerned about just inflationary pressures? The Fed just seems to be endlessly willing to supply money to the problem. No, and, and I'll tell you why. In the last 15 years, all those people that have been com- you know, concerned about inflationary pressures have had to back off and make statements like, it's very difficult to get inflation when the economy is doing poorly. So you know, a, a, the, in, what we've seen so far is that for inflation to break out, you need stabilization in the economy. You need things to go up. You need things to get more expensive. Right now, I think that the Fed is worried about deflation. Demand is dropping through the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't manufacture new stuff, so we, supply is dropping through the floor as well. Even China, their industrial output has been cut to, to less than half. Mm-hmm. So what inflation? 
if supply is down and demand is down, what will create inflation? Sure. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about hyperinflation worried about at this point. I mean, I, I believe what, what we're doing leads to hyperinflation. But the chances of it happening in the next year or two are extraordinarily small. I mean, the, okay. the economy is damaged. Mm. And then what are you hearing from investors about what they want in a deal given the current environment? They're freaked out. I mean, they don't know what they want. I think at, at the current time, I'm not hearing any articulate statements from investors. So I'm doing my best to inform my investors of what it is that I'm doing on existing properties. Um, I think that <clears throat> the problem is that <clears throat> the last 25 days, you know, the 25 days of March have been this relentless drumbeat of bad news followed by bad news followed by more bad news, right? And, then, and the severity of the bad news also goes up. I don't think that at this point, any investor can make good decisions. But I think what is going to happen, Ryan, is that in the second half of, of, um, of April, we're going to start seeing bad news, good news, bad news, good news. There's going to be a little bit of a mix where there's mm. actual good news. Right now, we're thinking of, you know, this bill passed by Congress is good news. That's not good news. We, we just basically spent a bunch of money. The good news happens when we start to beat this thing, when it's Delta on a state-by-state -state level slows, on a country-by-country -country level slows. I mean, sure. so far, we've seen positive news come out of Italy in that they're slowing and perhaps Spain is slowing. It's kind of hard to tell. Maybe we'll know more in the next two or three days. So it seems like quarantines work. We know that they technically work, but every, the big question is China can enforce it with the military. We can't. Will they work here? No one knows. But I do think that by April 10th, we will know. And I do think that by April 10th, the answer will be, yes, it works. So at that point in time, I think the process of getting investors to the point where they're ready to invest again can start. Mm. But I don't think it can start before that. I think right now is just people are freaked out. I mean, it's the equivalent of trying to get people to invest in the middle of a hurricane. So your city, your city is in the middle of a hurricane. How much investment are you going to be doing? Yeah, oh, no, that's good point. Good analogy for sure. Uh, do you think investors will be more interested in multifamily after this, given you know the gyrations in the stock market? And the um, I think, no, I, I don't think so, because I, I believe that the gyrations in the stock market occur very commonly now, right? The stock market is a much more volatile place than it used to be 20 or 30 years ago because of computers doing most of the trading and they tend to react so quickly that, you know, the market goes up a thousand points, goes down a thousand points. It goes up a lot faster and a lot down a lot faster than it used to. Sure. And I think that investors are getting used to that. And there's, it seems like some people are just tied to the stock market. I used to believe that that's going to change. Now, over a longer period of time, that is true. So um, I saw, art, I've seen articles that say that you know, real estate was 5% of the portfolio of these super big trillion dollar funds. And that's now gone from 5% 20 years ago to 25%. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's gone up 5x. And there's predictions that by the year 2040, which is, you know, 20 years from now, I think it was 2030, so 10 years from now, mm -hmm. it's going to go up from 25% of their holdings to 40% of their holdings. That, those are all great numbers. Those are all big numbers. But in the, sure. in the short run, I don't necessarily see people saying, oh, the stock market is volatile, so I'm going to buy real estate. Because 
there's going to be a lot of bad news coming out of real estate in the next month, month and a half. So far, all the bad news has been stock markets, correct? So you got to get real estate. That's a leading indicator. Yeah, leading indicator. So, I mean, the the answer is the bad news is going to multiply for real estate in the next uh, month and a half or two months. So I I can't say that in the short run, you're going to have people running for multifamily. No. In fact, I think multifamily transactions are going to slow down and freeze because of what Fannie Mae did yesterday. Interesting. Yeah, just the equity raise is, is too burdensome. A lot of people will just walk away even if their earnest money is lost. And then how do you think this plays out in secondary and tertiary markets? So it really depends on job growth, job growth and job losses. So if our job losses at a national level are short term, I don't think there's a huge impact. Uh, Again, I go back to my hurricane analogy. Hurricanes don't affect secondary and tertiary markets if a primary is hit. So if Phoenix is hit by a hurricane, it's not likely that Tucson will see higher cap rates, right? So To me, it's about how quickly can we get it back to a semblance of being stable. Um, Obviously, if this turns into a a huge, you know, nationwide or worldwide depression and that drags on for a while, then secondaries and tertiaries will get hit much more than the primaries. And then if we uh, turn to, you know, just kind of your, your advice or opinions on people that have signed an LOI but haven't yet negotiated a PSA, what do you think they should do? Walk away, for God's sake, walk away. And if you've negotiated a PSA and are not hard on earnest money, that's the next walk question. Walk away. <laughs> um, um, obviously, you know, if you're hard on EMD, so here's what I would do on hard on EMD I would negotiate with the buyer to get half of my EMD back. Okay. I would say things have changed. I'm going to retrade on the price, and he's going to say, Well, I've got your EMD, and I'm going to say, Look, you know that you're going to send this, sell this for millions of dollars less, yeah. right? So give me half of my EMD back. I'll go away, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and see, see what happens. Yeah. And for the people that recently closed on transactions? You're done at this point. So manage your property as best as you can, right? So the good news is that you did, were not subject to the Fannie Mae 12-month limit. Um, you closed on your property. Nothing really changes for you except that you have to do a lot of triage, a lot of management. Don't go crazy rehabbing your units at this point because it's not likely to make any kind of a difference. Mm. And for those people that are saying, you know, in a few weeks they want to go out and try and find, you know, good value multifamily deals, how would you suggest they, you know, change their underwriting to account for still the residual risk in the marketplace? I would suggest they don't do any underwriting. Um, the the world is in flux for the next eight weeks. All underwriting is meaningless. All underwriting is worthless. Don't do any. This is a time for you to take some, get some rest. Trust me, you're not going to get rest much later in the year. Yeah. Okay. No, I appreciate so that. Get, um, get some rest now. And, and there's going to be some deals for you out there. Remember, there's blood in the water in, in, for multifamily in Q3. There's blood in the water. Why do you want to buy assets today at an at a cap rate that no longer is relevant when you could buy at a higher cap rate by just waiting for a quarter. Also, Mm -hmm. you're going to torture yourself by putting EMD in and then not being able to raise money. Mm -hmm. Why are you underwriting? Just take a break. And what do you, what are your thoughts on default rates in multifamily? You know, historically they've been very low, you know, one twentieth of single family default rates during the financial crisis. I'll do scenario one and scenario two. 
scenario one, we go into a worldwide depression that drags out for two years and looks more like 2008. In that scenario, high, a high level of defaults. Scenario two, this is a V-shaped, extremely sharp recession where the economy bounces back in Q3. In that case, a fairly small number of defaults because, the, because Fannie and Freddie are allowing loan deferment. So we'll see some defaults, uh, but we won't need to see defaults for cap rates to go up. They will go up regardless of defaults. So you, you don't have to basically run, you know, run around the courthouse steps in Q3 to get deals. There'll be deals in the market because I can tell you in Q3, it's very unlikely that there will be as many uh, buyer, buyers as there are sellers. There's going to be less buyers, more sellers, and that's going to you know, drive the prices down regardless of default. So in that scenario, I don't see a huge amount of default in multifamily. Small, small multifamilies, there'll be some defaults. You know, we've been talking to some folks and they think that sellers are just going to wait it out. You know, people that have owned assets for a long time. But it sounds like you think that there's going to be a, a good good amount of selling happening in Q3. So, No, I, I, I agree with people that sellers are going to wait it out. But, but that doesn't change the fact that um, some sellers need to sell, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots and lots of reasons why people need to sell. Their bridge loans are coming up for adjustment. There's a death in the family. And all I'm saying is you may not see huge volumes. You may see less volume, mm-hmm. but I also see that you'll, I think that you'll see lower prices okay. because the number of people that are in the, in the market that are looking to buy at that time is going to drop. Uh, all these people that were raising a million for this indicator and raising a million for that syndicator, now their million is going to drop to 250K mm-hmm. at the same time when the, the Fannie Mae is requiring the equity check to go up by a million dollars. So it, you get hit on both sides. Sure, sure. And then if we turn to asset management, what is your team doing from an asset management perspective during this time to weather the crisis? So um, we're doing a number of things. And, and, you know, this right now, you know, I, I, could, I could do an entire, you know, webinar just on this topic, but there's so Which many. Which would be great. That, yeah, that, and I think that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on a webinar like that because I, I've seen a lot of people interested in that. But there's so many pieces to this, right? So we're doing offensive and defensive tactics. On the offensive side, we're assessing community health regularly, daily, on a daily basis. We're not meeting with our property managers every week. We're meeting with them pretty much every single day at this mm-hmm. point to try and understand if there's any infections in there. We're providing a lot of, you know, resident services, um, we're, um, you know, uh, giving them a list of, you know, all of the things that may assist them, federal level, county level, state level. Uh, we're, we're reaching out to tenants. We're understanding, you know, their risk profiles. By risk profile, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out which of our communities have a high uh, level of exposure to retail, to hotels, to airports. Like, for example, we have a property that's near the Atlanta airport. Atlanta is the largest airport in the world and is practically shut down. Right. Mm-hmm. So at this point, maybe there's 10 percent of those workers. So we're trying to to be proactive with that. And then on the leasing side, we've we've created video tours and are posting those online for tenants to come in because leasing becomes more important. We're providing, you know, drop boxes for checks at you know our leasing center and, and giving people online access to payments. Um, we're increasing our online traffic. Um, you know, we're so and, and then we're giving a lot of um, 
discounts, right? So a lot of, you know, uh, quick lease up discounts. And then for existing tenants to reduce the delinquencies, we're doing lease modification programs. We're offering late payment fee waivers. We're offering one month payment skips. Um, We're offering two chunk installment payment options. I mean, we're doing everything that we can. Mm -hmm. And then and then there's the the defensive portion, right? Social distancing. We're canceled. We've canceled all resident events. We've closed fitness, you know, centers and playgrounds, and lease, you know, leasing offices are closed. Um, and then we're cleaning everything. You know, it's already clean, but we're just cleaning and recleaning and recleaning everything. Um, and uh, our staff is working from home. Our maintenance staff is working, but all non-urgent work orders have been canceled. Um, you know, most unit turns have been canceled. Some some places we're still going, and then we're having conversations with our lenders and our investors. We've we've stopped distributing uh, profits to investors. Uh, we've stopped distributing asset management fees to ourselves. We've cut all non-essential expenses at every property, and we're talking to our lenders, saying, "Hey, if April doesn't go well for us, how do we go about the process of deferment?" I mean, mm-hmm. these are just some of the strategies. This could take an hour. But I think you get the point. You've sure. got to basically manage in a, in a way that's very different from before. No, that's all, all very insightful and very helpful. And then um, on Section 8, what are your thoughts on you know, Section 8 tenants now? Should apartment communities be trying to actively recruit them if they didn't have them before? I'm very um, conflicted on that. So I'm, I'm just going to say it may be a good thing to ask me that question again in two months. And I'd have a better answer. My answer has always been no, so I'm I'm going to stick with no. But you might see a yes from me sixty days from now. Okay, okay. And then as we uh, transition to markets, what type of markets will outperform in the slowdown? Um. So this is um this is not a market specific emergency. So there are no good markets. There are no bad markets. I think every market's going to get hit as much. Um. Having said that, I see some patterns here. So I'm going to talk about those. So I think that New York is going to get blown to smithereens. I mean, I love New York, just like everyone else does. But I don't even think that I think their governor now has a very clear understanding of the the insane crisis that he's facing. So that's good. Uh, our, our president doesn't seem to. So at least the New York governor does. So that's good. Um, so to me, I think there's going to be a massive impact in New York, New Jersey. Um, and uh, those markets may be dangerous to buy anything in at this point in time because they might have a, a, um, a rush of people leaving and not coming back. Um, if you notice, uh, the state of Florida put everyone coming in from New York into quarantine, and they did that because there's a very large number of people fleeing New York for Florida in the last week. Flights there have been full, and they're the only flights in America that have been full. Um, and, and so they, they basically said every, anyone coming from New York, we're going to put you into a two week quarantine because they're trying to stop people from coming in. Um, so there's going to be quite a bit of that capital will flee on New York as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm very bearish on, on New York over the next uh, six to 12 months. I'm also bearish on certain States that have chosen to listen to uh, some right-wing propaganda that this thing is not real, that it's just a flu. I'm bearish on those states. And my number one target is Louisiana, because I think that when I when I look at what Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi are doing, um, they're not reacting properly. Mm-hmm. And I think that they could end up having multiple cases of case, case, cluster, cluster, boom. And if mm-hmm. that happens, 
it could destabilize their economy. So we've got to look at states that are coming in last in this race, because I can tell you this, Ryan, somebody comes in last in this race to, to quarantine, they could destroy their economy. Their state economy could be destroyed. So those are the sort of things that you want to keep an eye on, right? So while I don't invest in California and I don't intend to, I have to say California has reacted the best in this mm. particular um, you know, scenario. They've, they've been most proactive. Uh, Washington state has done a really good job as well. Um, so a lot of it is about, is that state that you're planning to invest in, what is the chance that they will recover fully? If they recover fully, then really doesn't, you know, Metro A versus B versus C doesn't matter. My last comment on this, and I gave this a few days ago in a webinar, and I got a lot of flack for it, okay. is that in Q3, there may be certain deals in certain markets that don't meet my own metrics. And as you know, I teach courses on this. I, I sure. teach these metrics. And I've let people know I'm going to be buying because I'm going to be buying for built-in equity. If there's 20%, 30% of built-in equity in a, in a market that doesn't meet my job growth, population growth, home price growth numbers, I'm still going to buy because that built-in equity is phenomenally difficult to achieve. So, um, so we'll see. Um, I, I think it may, it may not be about cities and neighborhoods. It may be about where are the best deals. And when you say built-in equity, just meaning there was a fire sale on an asset or? Yeah, an asset selling at significantly below its value because it will not be clear to anyone what the value is. So some people will set high values and some people will set low values. Sure, sure. We're certainly uh, going to make a lot of offers in Q3. Okay, so Q3. <laughs> and then uh, you had commented on this in one of your previous webinars, but what are your thoughts on Houston and how multifamily performs during this period with lower oil prices? and? I, I think it's it's temporary. I, I I believe that Houston is a very strong metro. I haven't invested in Houston myself, but I'm... I'm fairly bullish on Houston. I think that it is it is a powerful metro with incredible population growth, and it is it continuously diversifies away from oil. It's certainly very dependent on oil today, but each year it, it tends to depend on oil less. Um, I think that um, beyond this initial madness, it will do well. That's great. And then, uh, what in Q three? What do you think your three top favorite submarkets will be? Uh, can you repeat that question? Ryan? Yes. In Q3, what what do you think your top three favorite submarkets will be, and why? Uh, that is a super difficult one to answer. I think that everything is in flux, so um, I I don't know the answer. And then in financing, uh, why bridge loans versus agency financing during these uncertain times? Um, well, firstly, you're not going to make numbers work with, with agency financing. I mean, look at what Fannie and Freddie are doing. Bridge loans may be your only option by default. Um, also, with the world economy weakening and there being less chances of hyperinflation because of the weakening in the world economy, what are the chances that interest rates are going to be high a year, year and a half from now? I, I, I've always said that they're very low and you know, I've been a proponent of bridge loans. And that there's obviously downsides to being in a bridge loan. But if you were getting a bridge loan, you were probably getting an extension, right? So execute that extension. Your lender's probably going to let you execute even if you're not on your business plan. They're going to let you extend it because lenders don't want properties back at this point in time. They're afraid. Um, so if you had extensions, then then I'm, I'm not overly worried about bridge loans. So I'm not going to change my strategy. I, I'm going to 
I'm, I, I am doing two thirds bridge loans, one third uh, fixed, and I'm going to continue that strategy. I appreciate that. And so with listeners having a little bit more time on their hands, being in, you know, isolation and quarantine and so forth, you know, and, and then thinking about Q3, Q4 and looking to underwrite more deals. What, what are some of the resources where they're free, start with free resources and then you can go into paid resources that you suggest people look into that have been really helpful for you? I'd say that you should be signing up for newsletters. I think that uh, more than ever, you need to look at information from the big dogs. So sign up for the CBRE, Marcus and Millichap, Yardi Matrix, and Berkadia newsletters. So that's those are kind of four that that you know are highly recommended. RCLCO, sign up for their newsletters because they will inform you about these trends in the coming months. They will write advisories and articles saying, oh, this is what's happening with economic vacancy and that's what's happening with cap rates and this is what's happening with, um, with reserves. Um, so this is, a, this is a great time to be listening to these people because they're working really hard. I've already seen some phenomenal advisories come out of these groups and there's a number of other groups. Those are the, the first five that came to mind. I think you need to leverage those and um, stop listening to people saying, crap on Facebook. Facebook is not the same thing as a Marcus and Millichap advisory. So mm-hmm. I see people listening to some nonsense on Facebook and then saying it to other people as if it was the truth, not as if it was an opinion. Mm-hmm. So um, right now, social media is a, is a horrible place to, to get your facts. Mm-hmm. And then what about paid resources? What do you like there, Neil? Um, I like Neighborhood Scout because they tend they are owned by Location Inc. So that data is is real time, and um, you know obviously they will adjust. Um, and um, also, this may be a time to buy a CoStar subscription. You know, a lot of people try to get by without a CoStar subscription, but I think the data that they will provide right now is going to be very beneficial. Awesome. As we as we wrap up here, what advice do you have for people getting into the business, both passives and first-time syndicators? Now's a good time to get in. It may seem horrible, uh, and Q2 is horrible, but I think Q3 is actually a pretty good time to get into the business. Um, as a passive investor, I have one piece of advice to you. I'm going to look you in the eye and say this. You've kicked yourself a dozen times for not buying enough in 2009. So when that opportunity comes in Q3 this year, and you will hear of it, don't make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what are your three biggest lessons learned from your time in multifamily? Um, well, number one is data beats gut feel by a million miles, mm. right? And um, the second one is tied to that, which is what you cannot measure, you cannot manage. Mm-hmm. If you're not measuring it, then you, if you think you're managing it, that's just a flight of fancy. That's just you telling yourself that you're managing it um and then the third one and you know it's a slightly funny one this is this is something that i invented i i tell people you know what i've learned is that the bible got it wrong by one letter right it is not the meek that shall inherit the earth it's, <laughs> it's the, the geek, geek. <laughs> now i really appreciate your time neil how can listeners get in touch with you I have a lot of content. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of time. As you can imagine, I'm not doing a lot of projects. I'm waiting for this event horizon to become more sure. visible. 
And so I'm doing a ton of content on the impacts of coronavirus on the economy and on multifamily and, and all, all kinds of assets of real estate. So now's a great time to go to multifamilyu.com and register there. It's a free website. You'll see a lot of webinars there already. The one that I recorded last week, if you didn't watch it, it's probably the best webinar we've done. We have 50 webinars there. Um, so, so keep watching. We'll, we'll be doing more of these. I mean, you know, it's a lot of work, Ryan, because previously I would update my presentations once every six months. Now it's, it's they're daily. a piece of junk in four weeks. I mean, you yeah. have to rewrite them from scratch. For right? sure. So, and, and the presentation that you just mentioned is is your view on COVID nineteen and the impact. It on is real the impact of COVID nineteen on life, real estate, and stocks. Uh, there's even stock picks in there. So if you if you like that, I mean, I, I think there's some phenomenal stock picks out there. I, I'm buying Royal Caribbean. It's down 78%. I, I think it's a phenomenal cruise line and people will not stop loving cruise lines just because they are, you know, um, they're a place that, that, you know, there's a very high rate of infection. I mean, cruise lines have been through SARS and MERS and, and all kinds of sure. viruses. They will survive. And I, I don't think their stock should be down 78%. That's great. Well, Neil, thank you so much for your time. This was fantastic and really appreciate uh, you carving out time for us today. Well, thanks for having me back on the show, Ryan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Multifamily Rockstars. We hope this episode was helpful for your personal and professional growth. For more episodes and to learn more about investing in multifamily apartments, check out lifechangingcapital.com.